0: Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 6, Episode 7.
1: Take the temperature of the room first, right? So sit back, listen, learn, be open-minded, and just absorb it all in before you start to kind of try and uh, make any moves.
0: This is the NSCA's coaching podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by Georgia Giblin, the Director of Performance Science for the Detroit Tigers in Major League Baseball. Georgia, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, Eric.
0: Yeah, so uh, we ran into each other at an event. Pretty recently and uh, got to talking about sports science and just the cool role you have with the Detroit Tigers. So just want to give you a chance to tell your story in the field and how you got to where you're at today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm obviously from Australia. So I started out uh, obviously in Australia, did my undergraduate degree in exercise and sports science at Deakin University in Melbourne. During that time, I actually undertook a study abroad program in Canada. And that's actually where I kind of found my love for biomechanics. I had a class over there and and really loved it. So when I got back to Australia, I uh, started doing an honors in biomechanics. So our system's probably slightly different uh, to the way it works in the US. So after my undergraduate degree, it's kind of a, a shortened masters, I would say. So it's a year-long kind of honours project. You pick a topic, you research it, write a little thesis on it. So I did that in some field hockey, Um, biomechanics research, loved that, decided kind of biomechanics was the way for me. Uh, So after that, I spent a year as an intern or a postgraduate uh, scholar at the AIS in Canberra uh, in their biomechanics unit there. So that, for me, was probably the most influential kind of part of my career really being embedded within biomechanics and sports science within the Australian Institute of Sport. So I got to work across a few different sports there and that was fantastic. Um, After that, through kind of networks and people that I'd made, um, you know, relationships through with the AIS, I started my PhD. So I completed that at Victoria University in Melbourne and I did that in partnership with Tennis Australia And so I think one of the neat things that we have in Australia is these kind of industry-based PhDs. So I was able to work kind of hand in hand with the coaches and the players at Tennis Australia to answer some of these kind of bigger burning questions that they had. So I had the research component, but also was able to kind of, you know, apply my trade as a sports scientist kind of on a daily basis with those coaches and athletes so that, that kind of set me up really nicely to work in elite sport I think um, and then from there I spent uh, four years at the Queensland Academy of Sport in Brisbane so as a biomechanist supporting our athletes that were either qualified or hoping to qualify for the Olympics uh, so I worked across track and field uh, archery softball uh, water polo quite a number of sports there Uh, for four years and then ended up in the U.S. So the Tigers obviously trying to get into sports science and um, they did so through a consulting agreement with the University of Michigan. So I actually started um, as a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Michigan, working with the Tigers, consulting with the Tigers about sports science, biomechanics, how best to to utilise sports science in baseball. So I did that for a year and then transitioned over full-time to the Tigers, which is the position I have now as the director of performance science.
0: It's really interesting. And I can think back to some early minor league days when probably the first time I ever saw, you know, a pitching lab with the, uh, with the, it looks like a video game with the sensors all over mm-hmm. the pitcher's body and, and technologies come, uh, quite a long way from, from those early days. Um, I want to ask you, you know, how has this transition that you're talking about been received, you know, at, for, at the major league level, at the minor league level with the athletes that you're, you're working with and with the coaches that you work with?
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because it's, it's certainly been a transition and baseball is in this period of time right now where technology is, you yeah, know, the pace of at which it's being adopted is just insane and it is it's challenging to keep up for someone like myself that has kind of that background so I can only imagine how hard it is you know for some of some of the coaches and players that have never kind of been exposed to it but I do think um the the transition has been quite good um I think you know so long as the technology is providing value, and obviously, you know, what you spoke about there, some of the pitching labs and the motion capture, I think provides immense value to the players and the coaches, uh, then it's it's typically received quite well. Um, obviously, depends a lot on how you present that technology and information. Um, and I think that's probably one of the, the key uh, points for the coaches is, you know, we have to upskill and educate them as well. So I can't expect, you know, I've got a PhD in biomechanics. I understand, you know, all those dots and things that you're talking about. They've probably never seen that before. They don't know what it means. So for me, being able to, you know, take that very scientific side of it and translate it into kind of more digestible format for the coaches, um, I think goes a long way from the player side of things. You know, the, the players these days, I think in, in colleges are getting exposed to some of this. So it's a little bit easier transition for them. So some of those big schools, you know, they have pitching labs themselves. Um, and so I think a lot, of, a lot of the kids that come out of college these days, you know, they come in and they say, hey, where's my blast sensor? Or, you know, they're, they're, they know the information, they're thirsty for it. Obviously, that's, you know, a different scenario uh, for some of the players coming out of our Dominican Academy. Um, so for them, you know, we put an emphasis on trying to educate them down in the Dominican with some of the technology that we use in the States so that when they come to the States, you know, it's not another one of those things. That's kind of, you know, mind blowing for them, right? They already, they're aware of it. They know what it means. We we introduce it to them down there. So that transition is a little bit easier, I think um, for them because They've got a big enough transition as it is with moving, you know, from the Dominican to to Florida without everything else thrown on top of them.
0: It's a really great point. You know, one about players craving more information today than maybe past generations and just the, the culture of the game that we're in today. And I liked how you touched on just sort of the onboarding of new technology within your program, within your system. And especially thinking about players coming out of Latin America, where we typically think and know that the resources maybe aren't uh, the same as what we have here in the U.S. And uh, I do want to ask you about that. But before we get too far in, I, you know, what's your thoughts on working in baseball? This may be a sport that you didn't uh, always aspire towards or think you'd uh, be working with. How's, how's your experience been?
1: It's crazy. I'll tell you that I so when I first started in baseball uh you know I had some some really good people around me and in, in the form of our uh, minor league strength and conditioning coordinator at the time um and our minor league uh athletic training coordinator and, and both of them had said to me you know whatever you've learned in your olympic sports and whatever throw it out the window it doesn't apply in baseball and I was like surely you know that can't that can't be true but Uh, it's true for a lot of things, you know, the scheduling's crazy. The fact that they play so many games in a short period, um, the number of players and teams is crazy. And, and so it's, yeah, it's been an interesting experience. That's for sure. I mean, I think it's fantastic. I love it. It's, it's got its own kind of set of challenges and, you know, like you mentioned, it probably wasn't, you know, one of the sports that I, you know, was targeting. I got a kind of a taste of softball while we had our Australian team kind of preparing um, for Tokyo, and really enjoyed that. Um, but you know, that was one one national team, and you're dealing with just a, a small handful of players and a one one coaching group, and it was a lot easier as opposed to kind of scaling things to an organization where you've got multiple teams, you know, uh, within the country, but also within the Dominican as well, and players, you know, everywhere and it's so it's been it's been a challenge from that perspective. But I also think it's a really exciting time to be in baseball because like we mentioned earlier, the technology aspect of it is growing. And in particular for me, selfishly, the biomechanics aspect of it is growing. And I think, you know, with the advent of motion capture and Hawkeye and Markless motion capture in the game, you know, that's that's exciting for me because there's just lots of information to digest.
0: So we have a lot of young strength coaches listening to this podcast or, or professionals just getting into the field at different levels, uh, speak to biomechanics a little bit and just some of the technologies that are available uh, throughout the industry and just uh, how one might go about uh, pursuing that knowledge once they're uh, getting their foot in the door professionally.
1: Yeah. So I guess in the simplest form sort of biomechanics is the application of like physics to human movement um and so within baseball in particular at the moment there's um accelerometers or sensors that you know you might have seen um you know out on social media that look at how efficiently a player moves so how quickly certain uh body parts rotate compared to other parts Uh, so that's kind of one of the key key pieces of technology i think in baseball right now and looking at the kinematic sequence So how that player moves and how they uh, transfer energy up the kinematic chain. And then the other big piece I think at the moment is motion capture. So you can have two types of motion capture. The first being marker-based motion capture, which you might've seen with with those uh, little reflective dots that get placed all over the joints. That's how they kind of make video games as well. Um, And then the second, option is markless motion capture, which is kind of your AI video camera based system where they create the skeleton um, without the markers. And so both of those systems give you very similar information, uh, information about joint positions. So maybe, you know, where your knee flexion is when you're landing uh through a pitch for example and so we can look at okay is that front leg stable Are uh, they may be collapsing a little bit losing a little bit of energy <clears throat> um and so then obviously I think for the for the young um practitioners coming into the field there's a lot of information and, and it's probably very hard to summarize it and digest it but I guess there is technology that will be available to them to help do, you know, their aspect of the job. So whether it's perhaps using this markless motion capture in a screening. So typically maybe the strength coaches um, are responsible for an FMS type of screen. Potentially you could use a markerless based motion capture to do that for you. And you could actually measure, you know, some of the, the outcomes uh, that might be occurring in this screening. Um, if that
0: makes sense. Yeah, no, that's that's actually a really great point. And one thing I think back is vertical jump testing is really common across all strength mm-hmm. and conditioning programs. Well, we've come a long way from jumping with a piece of chalk against the wall to a vertex, to a jump mat, to a force plate. And you can use the technology in a lot of different ways to enhance areas of your program, which maybe you already think are pretty well developed. And so that's that's a really great point there. I want to ask you about, you know, in professional baseball, you talked about the influx of all these technologies and organizing that for your players, you know, talk about the onboarding process once players get to the U S from the Dominican or at your Florida complex and up through the affiliate levels. That's where I think it's really interesting where it's uh, it's sometimes really difficult to apply a lot of different technologies.
1: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of challenges. So, I guess the easiest place to start maybe is to walk you through sort of how we onboard, uh, maybe using our draft class this year as an example. Uh, And we try and and kind of repeat this in spring training when we have uh, everybody arrive. So, typically we take the first day that everybody is in Lakeland and we use that as a screening day and an education day. So, the players arrive um, and they'll go through their Um, you know, their screenings with the athletic trainers, with the strength coaches, they'll do, you know, their body weight, uh, their skin folds, they'll do their baseline strength testing. Uh, So they'll go through all of those kind of screens and assessments. And then typically what we'll do is we will introduce them to any technology that they're going to be responsible for. Um, So for example, each player has a blast sensor that goes on their bat. So we'll have a meeting and we'll sit down and, and kind of show them, hey, you know, this is where the sensor is located. This is what we need you to do in terms of charging it, putting it on your bat. These are the expectations that you'll wear it for BP every day. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, speaking of the affiliate levels, we kind of, it, it gets more challenging as they get towards the higher levels you know, the players in AA or AAA might not want to wear this. Um, so we have, you know, kind of different expectations for different levels. So if you're in uh, in the FCM Florida, then, you know, that's on your bat for every BP. If you're in AAA, there's obviously a little bit more kind of leeway, right? Because those guys are um, a little bit older and and veterans, so um, we'll introduce them to some of those technologies, um, particularly the ones early on, the ones that they're kind of responsible for. Um, and then as typically spring training goes through, uh, and we actually did this a lot more recently in our in our post-season camp, uh, we had some large educational components. So we'll have a, a meeting on rap Soda. Okay, this is why we use Rapsoda. These are some of the metrics we look at. This is why, you know, it's important that it's out there every time. Um, This is TrackMan. This is, this is the force plate. um, This is gym aware and why we're using it. And I think that's kind of a key component because it helps us with compliance. If they know why we're doing it, um, it's a lot, you know, easier for them to get on board. And also what we try and do is like for gym aware, for example, will have a tv scrolling with some of the results in the weight room so you know they can get a little bit competitive and they'll make sure like when they go in there oh, I haven't done my jump today but look at so and so you know they did this and they'll get in there and get it done um, but it is one of the challenges we face I think in onboarding the players with the technology because when they come into spring training there's 101 things for them to do right and there's 300 players it's, it's very difficult to align schedules and get everybody in, in one place. And so what we've tried to do is do it at these kind of camps at the end of the year in smaller groups um, and then provide some of the information specific to them as well. So like, hey, you know how we collected blast all year? Well, this is what we found for you. Like, that's how we're using it. That's why you now have this off-season hitting plan. Um, and I think I think that helps a lot.
0: So. Talk a little bit about staffing. You're managing information, you're managing pieces of technology, but that's not just the analysis and uh, breakdown of the information. That's the charging and setup and all the different areas. We know that strength and conditioning has grown a lot in professional baseball, athletic trainings, been well-established performance science is kind of the new, the new kid on the block. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that collaboration and who you have on your team.
1: Well, that's that's an interesting one. So the team's just expanded, thank goodness. Um, so, like you mentioned, there's you know there's a lot of technology, and quite often we'll buy a piece of top technology because we think it's going to help, but then we don't necessarily you know uh, provide the resources or the people to run that technology. Um, so prior to this year, you know I've relied very heavily on the strength coaches and the athletic trainers and um, our baseball information assistance. So they sit in our video department to help me with kind of the day-to-day operations because I haven't had a lot of staff. And so that is why I push the onus on the players a little bit too. So for the blast sensors, for example, they sit in the locker room and they charge in the locker room and it's their responsibility to pick that charger up. or pick that sensor up before they go out in the field and drop it back on. And then one of the BIAs would upload that data um, every day, purely because prior to this year, it was just me. I don't have time to run through the locker room, chasing down sensors and and charging them. Uh, So I rely quite heavily um, on other departments. So for example, you know, the strength coaches, we got gym aware. We all kind of uh, did the class on how to run it and they just take it and run with it. So They do the day-to-day operations of it. I really just look at the data on the back end in SmarterBase and and make sure that integration is working and then create kind of dashboards and reporting features for them. Moving forward this year, we're actually getting some new stuff in performance science. So that's very exciting for me. Um, We've just hired a biomechanist. So that person is going to help a lot with the uh, in-game biomechanical data that we're going to get. We have a performance science coordinator, which um, is going to be someone that's responsible for organising and maintaining a lot of the equipment that we have, Um, you know, everything that kind of gets shipped out to the affiliates and and whatnot, making sure that's all organised and working. And then we've got two associates or interns as well. So they'll help with the day-to-day operations of just making sure everything's charged, making sure the players have all the equipment that they need, making sure... You know, if the coaches want something you know out there or the coaches want to use the force plates for a session because they want to test out a drill with a certain player um, that that's available to them when they need it
0: yeah you know, it really speaks to the the growth in the game and there's there's a lot more positions now than than 10 20 years ago when I mean some teams only had athletic trainers at that point and it's expanded so much uh, nutrition strength and conditioning athlete athletic training, added roles in that area and Mm -hmm. now performance science, you know, with your background coming from Australia and you've worked in the U S and North America now for, for at least a few years, you know, what are some of the similarities or differences that you see, uh, in different parts of the world, just in the field and just what are some of the things we're doing really well, and maybe some of the things that uh, we could learn from.
1: So I think one of the big things for me that I, I probably maybe took for granted in Australia, but I think the US is is catching up and you spoke to it a little bit then just with that the added roles in that. So when I was working in our Olympic system, we had what we called service teams around athletes and sports. And in that service team, let's say you're a 100-metre sprinter, you're in track and field. Track and field, or let's say the sprints group within track and field had this service team that had a nutritionist, a strength coach, a sports scientist, uh, if they required it, a physiologist. Um, So like long distance, you know, things like that, had a physiologist, um, a nutritionist, and a mental health uh, provider as well. And I'm probably missing some. However, I think the concept of, you know, each sport and person having this kind of bubble of people around them to help um, was something, you know, that was just kind of ingrained, I think, in, in the system. And that's how we kind of operated in that team setting. Um, and that works, I think, really well. And the US, or particularly I think baseball, is starting to kind of catch up on that, um, maybe philosophy or area. Uh, so now, you know, in my role, I work very, very closely with our strength coaches and with our athletic trainers, um, with our player development coaches. And so now I think, you know, the players that come into the system have a lot more resources available to them. They know that, okay, if I'm in double in I, I now have, you know, my full-time strength coach, which they didn't have before. You know, I've got access to a nutritionist. I've got my full-time athletic trainer maybe i have a sports science intern there um you know maybe and now i have a development coach that's responsible for um relaying some of the information from the technology and advanced reports and scouting and things so i think we're building these teams around the athletes uh, and the players a little bit better that's probably the biggest kind of change i've seen um recently
0: no i i see that too that that's really interesting. And we even see it in the college side of things, uh, with more specialties, especially, I mean, biomechanics, sports science, performance science, and something you touched on that I think is very relevant in baseball, but I think is applicable to every sport is, you know, we have the research and development side of, professional baseball really diving into the more in-game statistics and and what's happening sort of the the money ball behind the uh you know behind the game uh look at things and there's such a crossover between the analytics on the performance side and then the in-game more of the r&d side but we also see this with sport coaches and i know on the strength and conditioning side we have to connect a lot with our, with our head coaches, with our managers, with our sport coaches. Now these roles are starting to, like you mentioned, a development developmental coach, sort of as a bridge between some of these performance science concepts and uh, what would be the traditional hitting or pitching coach on the staff. Talk, talk a little bit about that growth, just uh, how you've had to navigate those relationships and, and just, connecting with baseball staff may be uh, a little bit different than someone with a strength and conditioning background or athletic training background with with crossover knowledge in your discipline
1: yeah it's that's been an interesting one for me because obviously I came into the role with probably more of a technical kind of background in terms of you know, I studied biomechanics, I have a PhD in biomechanics, and when I started, everyone was like, I don't even know what biomechanics is, you know, let alone, you know, sports science is just kind of taking off, and then there's all these sub and they're like, biomechanics, you know, whereas, you know, if you're a strength coach or an athletic trainer, that's kind of been part of the game for a long time, so it was, <clears throat> it was kind of challenging for me to come in from that background, I think, because, I didn't necessarily know a lot about baseball, but as I said uh, very early on, I think in one of my interview processes, you know, the, the bi- biomechanics doesn't change. You know, the body still moves how the body moves. The laws of physics are the same. It doesn't matter what sport you're playing. Um, and so I think it just, it took a little while for me to kind of just sit back and absorb baseball and learn about baseball. And, you know, I had some good people around me to help do that. Um, and it's probably been a little bit more challenging than, say, someone, you know, with the strength or athletic training background. Um, but you know what? I think it's it probably happens across baseball as a whole in terms of, you know, we hire a lot of analysts that are very, very smart intelligent people, and you know, they've worked purely just in statistics, or whatever it may be and it, they've never worked in baseball statistics but at the end of the day they you know their base knowledge is what requires to work in baseball and sometimes it's just a little bit of a process to figure out all right well how do I apply my knowledge to baseball and that's probably the easiest part the hardest part is you know how do I communicate that to the uh the coaches and uh and the players and you know those roles, I think, are changing. So we're getting a lot of younger coaches with more diverse experience. So some of them might have background in in statistics. Some of them might have a strength training background that have now come into coaching. And I think that's that's really great for the game that we have this kind of diversity of of coaches and and people within the game with different different backgrounds. I think that um, you know makes it easier to communicate I think amongst groups at at some stages but then obviously you know we still have those um, more traditional roles of the pitching coach and the hitting coach and um, you just kind of need to figure out what the best way to communicate with all the different coaches is I mean that's the challenging part about any any job right whether you're a strength coach or an athletic trainer or the sports scientist you know you've got to communicate with a wide range of stakeholders and everyone's different so figuring out that's the tough tough, tough part
0: absolutely and you touched on just the n- number of skills required to be to be good at your job in these complex work environments and i want to ask you uh You've, you've seen a lot of coaches, you've worked with a lot of coaches and practitioners, you know, what advice do you give young professionals getting into the field or aspiring towards the field, uh, just in terms of how they should, should approach their early experiences where they're, where they're gaining knowledge and, and, uh, really getting their foot in the door.
1: Yeah, so I guess in baseball, and this is a terminology that I hadn't necessarily heard before working in baseball, and I would just associate it with something else. But it, it seems to be huge. Is this concept of feel? I don't know if you've ever kind of come across that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, it's huge in baseball. But what my my take on it would be, as a young kind of practitioner coming into the field, or you know, if you if you're starting an internship with the team or something you know, take the temperature of the room first, right? So sit back, listen, learn, be open-minded and just absorb it all in before you start to kind of try and uh, make any moves. I think I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is that, you know, they're excited, they're passionate, which is fantastic, but they come in and it's really hard to undo a bad first impression, I think. So um I think it's really important for those first kind of uh, whatever it be weeks, days, just kind of really absorb and, and learn a lot and then kind of be tactful. I think that's the challenging thing, right, to, to know, all right, well, you've got knowledge and you've got, um, you know, a lot of passion and want to, you know, put your fingerprint on the program You've just got to know when's the right place to do that, right? When's the right time to do that? And that probably doesn't apply just for young people, young practitioners coming into the field. That applies for everyone. It's a it's a challenging skill to have, but I think those, you know, we talk about all the all the time the soft skills, which are probably the hard skills. Um, to, they're probably the most important for me. Um, you know, being able to communicate, create relationships, listen those types of things. They're very challenging, but I think, you know, in order to be a
0: successful coach, those are very,
1: very important.
0: No, it's spot on, you know, having feel, having feel for your environment Mm -hmm. for the uh, the people around you and, and coming into a new experience. Sometimes, you know, you don't know everybody, you Mm -hmm. know, you don't know their backgrounds, their histories, and that can be a good gateway into into learning just because you have so many people to get to know but as you as you know their backgrounds and their stories having feel might mean you know you you can connect with them on certain things or certain things Mm -hmm. that maybe you've you've shared experiences with or you know just about their experience that some uh someone might be sensitive about something or or really likes doing something or or more, you know, more inclined to, to uh, respond a certain way. And those are really those tactful coaching skills that, yeah, we go to events and they are, they are popular topics right now, but I think really the challenge coaches have is employing those skills day in and day out, uh, knowing that, you know, everybody's got good days, bad days, you know, days where you're overworked you're tired you know the end of the day versus the beginning of the day and i think there's you know there's um there's a huge human element to it and especially in a game like you mentioned you know every single day over such a long season uh Mm -hmm. the clubhouse environment sort of becomes like the family environment uh and and uh and there's there's a lot of positive and some challenges along the way too i i think it's really uh great the perspective you shared um to anyone listening in today that wants to get in touch and and learn more uh, you know what's the best way to do that
1: uh probably via twitter so my twitter handle is just at georgia giblin uh, i must admit i'm not very good at posting on twitter but i do like to use twitter a lot for uh kind of you know seeing what's happening in the field catching up on sort of uh people's research and things so if they reach out on there, I'll say it.
0: Awesome. Georgia, thanks for being with us. Thanks for sharing. To all our listeners, we appreciate you tuning in. And thanks to Sorenx Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support.
1: Hey, everyone. I'm Dr. Tim Sukumel, the chair of the NSCA Sports Science and Performance Technology Special Interest Group. And you just heard an episode of the NSCA Coaching Podcast. This show brings about excellent discussion right to the core of the NSCA's mission to bridge the gap between scientific research and application. If you want to learn more about the many advancements in the areas relevant to today's practitioners, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Also, join the discussion in the NSCA
0: Sports Science and Performance Technology SIG on Facebook. Go to NSCA.com for more information.